the Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. <sighs> I mean, I, I, I don't know how else to lead into this. I mean, this it's like... It's it's kind of the same old story week after week. Um, you know, I, I I'm wondering maybe and just go be with me on this. Um, do you think we might have a little bit more success if we I don't know scored points in the second half of games? It's it's tough. I think we're gonna we have a very special guest later in this pod um, that we're gonna talk about some of these things with. But there certainly is a narrative this season where we're, we're scoring points in the first half of the season, in the first half of the game, not in the second half of the game. Obviously, this is another glaring example of that. Um, there is one real asterisk that I had to tie to this one. Um, I think were this game to exist on an island, I doubt people would be bringing that narrative up as much, if only because. Oh my God, Michigan's defense is so flipping good. And we knew that coming in. Um, but I mean, man, on, on that side of the ball, they're, I mean, I'm, they can make a claim to be the best defense in the country. Chase Winovich, that's as impressive a defensive player as I can remember seeing in person, um, in quite a while. Um, and one important thing that I, that I do think we people should bring up is, um, it wasn't like we really had the offense humming in the first half and then there was a shutoff switch thrown. Our three scoring drives in the first half started from our 35, which we got a field goal out of, our 46 and our 48 yard lines. Um, we had one impact play in the first half, uh, JJ Jefferson screen pass, which why didn't we see more of that is certainly a separate question yeah. that could have been had. And not just in this game, but in general, and not just with him, but with anybody. Um, but um, with that said, that was the one impact play. We scored points against Michigan in the first half because we started with short fields. The other nine drives in the game, we started at best at our own 25-yard line. And yes, you say, well, how come we didn't take points out of any of those nine? That is an acceptable argument. But in general... You're not going to start at your own 25 and reliably get points against that Michigan defense. So, again, things were working more in our fortune in general in the first half, and then it kind of stopped. But I'd say my main takeaway in this one is less, less, less I'm super mad at Northwestern. That's a more general discussion over the course of the whole season offensively. And more just, whoa, Nelly, that's a good defense. And man, was this one a gut punch in general, because of the way it played out. I mean, we talked about last week that we thought Michigan had a number of characteristics that could allow Northwestern to be in the game, Um, but also knew that, so A, if Michigan played a perfect game, we were going to get killed. B, um, they're undisciplined. We saw that over and over and over again, especially in that first half, tons and tons and tons of penalty yardage on, on Michigan. Um, their defense is extremely aggressive in in attacking the offense. Their their ends kind of rush with with wild abandon. I think that's a lot of why those screen passes worked so well in the first half, and it is really a shame we went away from it. But as as the, the I think Sam, you were the one that mentioned it. You said there's a situation where 
we start further and further back on the field and aren't able to move the ball very much and they're just eventually going to going to kind of bowl us over and and it feels like that's what happened in the second half and a lot of people have quoted the the Teddy Greenstein comment um like the slowest ripping off of a band-aid ever <laughs> uh which was was pretty apt but John you 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 earmarked it there with with the field position like we slowly got pushed further and further back into our side of the field and as their defensive line started to get more pressure and get to to Thorson more often we couldn't allow plays to develop downfield so we had to to throw shorter and shorter and to disrupt our screen game and and well not our screen game to to disrupt our slant game and what was a really effective targeting of the middle of the field in the first half they were playing super tight man coverage they got Kaliki Hudson back in the second half who uh, he missed the first half with a targeting penalty and they just smothered us um i think we all believe that there's probably some creativity, probably some, some adjustments, probably some things that could have been done better, executed better, planned better. Um, we've talked for a long time about Northwestern being in these games and they've got plan A and then plan B is just hold on for dear life. And something could have given that would have allowed NU to win this game. And what's so frustrating is that we've been in this place before we've been in this place against Michigan, like three times before in the last five games. And, uh, and yeah, it just hurts. I mean, you, you look at, and and we've said this time and time again, you know, the offense going three and out every time the defense played their guts out. I mean, the defense had a, they were really, really good. They, you know, only seven points given up in the first half, you know, and even in the second half, I mean, they, Michigan couldn't run away with it and it took them till three minutes left in the game to finally pull ahead. And, and that's a hundred percent on the de- the defense playing as well as it did. But because the offense just couldn't move the ball at all, the defense got tired. And, you know, how many times have we said that throughout the years? You know, offense couldn't move the ball. The defense played their guts out, but got tired and, you know, ended up giving it up at the end. And it's tough, too, because, again, we got the kind of game we were hoping for, right? We got it was just a messy, low-scoring game. Um, and that was very close to working out the way we wanted to. I mean, we, we carried a lead through the entire game up until what the final four minutes. So, um, it's, <clears throat> it was, it was really close. Again, we don't want to give short shrift to a defense that is just amazing. Um, I, I will say once a, a pattern of a game has clearly been established, and this isn't a Northwestern thing, it's a college football thing where the other team is always going downfield because a downhill because of a field position feedback loop that has established itself where you're always starting at your 25 and they're always starting at the 40 there's there are two ways to get out of it one way is to force turnovers that suddenly give your your team great starting field position the other way someday when i write my my book my thousand page tome punting on second and third down (laughs) i i just it's not a northwestern thing it's all college football just once i would like a team to be like you know what it's third down we're just gonna punt against no returner and let's see when the other team for once starts a drive inside their own 15 if that flips the field position in a long-term basis just once, just once I'd like to see a team do this. Um, but 
Um, I, I'm not going to go off on my rant. Um, but um, in any case, you know, like I said, we got the kind of messy game that we wanted. The defense played great, like they've played great all year. And, um, you know, it's we didn't get the result that we wanted. And to me, it's less about the way it happened than I mean, less about that it happened than the way that it happened and just how excruciating it was. But, you know, there are positives here um, that, that yeah. we can take going forward. Silver lining is that and it, this is the third week in a row we're saying this, but um, it remains true. No, nothing has happened that has disqualified Northwestern, n- neither mathematically nor contextually from contending for the big 10 West title. Um, you know, it seemed extremely far-fetched after losing to Akron and with, with as, um, badly as we got beaten by Duke. But we, I mean, all complaints aside and, and everything we just said is is legit. And you're going to hear us get, get deeper on some of the problems that are facing the program right now. But this team can be in contention with, with, the big horses in, in the big 10 West um, being Wisconsin and Iowa. If, if we can play that close of a game against Michigan, there's no reason why we can't do something similar against those other squads. So um, don't hang up the phone on this season yet. Don't bail. Don't stop standing up and screaming on third down. Like this team has got a ton of talent and they are, hopefully figuring things out. And I hate, I hate to put it that way. I, that's, that's what we have to go on right now, but this, this season is not over. Uh, speaking of talent, um, you know, we were in silver linings. We were very pleasantly surprised uh, to see the return of Solomon vault. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Definitely. That was great. You know, we, and at, and at running back, <laughs> yeah. which um, everybody and, and, kept referring to him as former wide receiver, former wide receiver who was formerly a running back. Yeah, <laughs> well, last week we were saying, you know, Kyrick McGowan in the backfield. John, you were, you know, you're espousing the idea of bringing a wide receiver into the backfield. You know, we just didn't know that Solomon Vault was that close to coming back. Yeah, I didn't know they were going to play Solomon Vault's music. I would have immediately been like, well, that's who it's going to be. Um, it was great. I mean, so great, especially since we need a body back there and we need someone with his skill set, uh, a lightning type guy. Um yeah, it's fantastic to see, and hopefully he keeps coming back um, and getting more and more healthy. That was awesome. Um, it's probably the single most positive thing. And and the other thing, and again, as we alluded to earlier, there's a flip side to this coin because he was targeted one time in the game. But J.J. Jefferson, I mean, what an individual play for a freshman. Um, that 36-yard play, not just the speed, he broke tackles. Um, an impressive stiff arm there. Um, and not just that, that it was a great play, but it was an effective way to use his abilities. Yes. Um, the fact that we didn't see it again the rest of the game, um, casts a little bit of a dark cloud on that. But, um, again, uh, clearly a guy with loads of potential, um, and, uh, a guy with game breaking speed that hopefully we can find ways to effectively utilize. I don't don't dwell on this Michigan game too much because we do have uh this a game this weekend against Michigan State. Um, you know, we just coming off this, you know, stellar Michigan defense and you know, we're looking right into the teeth of Michigan State's tremendous run D. Um however the rest of Michigan State is, you know, 
there's definitely some question marks there. You know, that this is not a, a perfect team by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I mean, their offense has been okay. Uh, you know, they had that, that really well-publicized struggle at uh, Arizona State. Uh, losing that game, they were they were very anemic down the stretch in it, that it game. It was a hundred degrees that game. I mean, yeah, okay, yeah, it was it was a hundred it was a hundred degrees. It was at night. I don't know. Um, it was a hundred degrees uh, at night. They 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 beat Central Michigan um, pretty strongly last week. Uh, they were they had a, a relatively tight game against Indiana that ended up uh, ended up not tight, but uh, the Utah State game to start the year they just they just haven't looked great. Um, Felton Davis the third is is a problem for for every team who tries to cover him. Um, he's going to be a problem for Northwestern. So I, when you when you look at these games, you don't you don't feel like Brian Lewerke has been has been stunning or amazing. But his his underlying stats look quite a bit better than last year uh, in a couple spots. His completion percentage has, has popped up from below sixty to uh, sixty almost sixty six. Uh, yards per attempt is up by like one and a half yards. Uh, his TD to pick rate is, is one to one right now. So that's maybe where, uh, where he's hurting a little bit and he's, he's taking sacks at a higher rate than last year, but he's been pretty darn good. I, I think what's been just kind of surprising is their running game really hasn't been strong at all. Um, LJ Scott has been injured. That's a huge part of it. Uh, he was questionable for the central Michigan game and ended up, I believe not playing. So I uh, don't know what's in store for the cats, if he's going to be on the field, but this, they almost feel like a, like an offense that, and we talked at the beginning of the season that schematically they, they want to just run the ball and pound you and they might be better off releasing Lewerke a little bit more and letting him um, attack more often. And, and they haven't really done that to date. So we'll see if that changes. I, you know, we beat this team last year were in their house this year. They don't appear to be dramatically different. So we'll see what happens. Well, neither do we. It is. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's, it's really weird. Um, I kind of feel like, you know, Michigan state's like, a, we're looking at a funhouse mirror here or something. I mean, the, the similarities and, and like key differences. I mean, it's like, they are so similar to us in so many ways. This is a team that has a great defense in some regards um, but, but I mean, really a great defense overall and an offense that is still just getting itself figured out. The difference is Michigan State doesn't know what the heck's going on with their running game, whereas we don't really know what's going on with our passing game right now. And yes, for people who say you didn't run for any yards against Michigan, well, wait until our running game plays Nebraska, Rutgers, uh, Minnesota, and Illinois. And then you'll understand the character of our run game. And, and honestly, <laughs> you could probably fold Iowa into that too. Um, it's Ooh, like, I don't know about yeah. that. I was, we'll, I was we'll, looking pretty nasty. We'll, we'll see. But Michigan and Michigan state, I mean, again, like we are playing like two of the three best run defenses in the country. I uh, don't consider that a barometer of your own running game. But, um, uh, but my point is, but you know, Lewerke is, is got great numbers, like Scuzz says, but they don't know what they're doing, uh, on the run game and they've got real problems on offense. And on the flip side, the character of their season is so similar to ours. The difference is Michigan state's been lucky. They easily could have lost and arguably should have lost to Utah State. Um, and a one in four Central Michigan team scored 17 unanswered fourth quarter points against them, which if that sounds like the Akron game to you, you're not wrong. Um, they are a work in progress right now. 
with a reliable defense and a bunch of question marks. That's exactly where we are. And I think this is going to be a kind of rubber meets the road game for, for both teams. And we're going to see who's got things figured out better. Michigan State a ten and a half point favorite as we record right now on Wednesday night over under forty three and a half. So uh, Vegas is expecting a low scoring game. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, before we kind of delve into the rest of the schedule for this weekend, we do have a very special guest. Uh, we're happy to welcome in uh, former Northwestern quarterback Dan Persa to the show. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, we first wanted to get started um, with the this Michigan game last week, which obviously huge disappointment. Um, you know, starting off so strong and uh, really kind of fading it down the stretch, and uh, just kind of, um, you know, we all listened to your uh, your podcast with uh, Dave Ennett, collegiately speaking, um, where you went, you gave some pretty good details on on your thoughts on that, but just kind of get a sense from you as a you know former quarterback and you know what what did you see on Saturday that kind of piqued your interest um it's an interesting question right I guess interest is is the operative word Ire, um, uh frustration <laughs> yeah. I mean take, take it how you want right 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 no I you know I think it's it's been kind of the same stuff we've seen you know the past creeping up on a decade now uh, in September for the Cats, which is, it's really frustrating. Um, you know, it's the guys, they're really talented. Uh, the team is as talented as they've ever been. And I think the defense is, is playing really, really well. Uh, maybe not as, as, as strong as some, some past seasons, but they're still playing, you know, defense like that'll keep you in every game, which, you know, at the end of the day is, is what you want as an offense, right? If you can hold, Michigan or you know any any good team do to 20 21 points you should be able to win those games right as a as a, a spread offense and and Northwestern just hasn't been able to to you know get anything going on offense and I, I feel like for the last however many years and especially in September I think you know last year and the year before they'll, they'll go on these these mini runs where they they play great and they they give fans you know something that to come back for I feel like it's like a good golf shot right it's like you're so frustrated for so long and then you hit a perfect drive and you're like all right fine we're back um but I don't know I just think for for the facilities you know for the things that the investments that you know the athletic department's making in in the program, I think there just should be a higher standard, right? Um, you know, 10 wins is, is great from last year, but that shouldn't be something to hang your hat on. And then to start like this and, and really have, you know, four games that have, for the most part, outside of Purdue and even in the second half of Purdue, has been, you know, pretty disappointing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the Michigan game, it was, it was you know, they, they played like, like every other game. They came out strong. They, the offense rolled. For, for two straight series felt like they had a lot of energy and, you know, got, got the attention of a lot of fans. And then, you know, um, just kind of slowly deteriorated, which, which sucks to watch um, because you know how talented they are. And I, I think it just kind of goes back to the ability of the offensive staff, not being able to make adjustments and not, you know, being creative enough to, to dig out of some, some holes when things really, you know, maybe aren't going their way or Michigan's playing better on offense and you need to respond and, you know, I don't want to put it all on the offensive staff because there were a lot of drop balls, you know, throughout the game from from the receivers. I, I just felt like no one was really stepping up 
to make a play. Everybody was kind of just looking around like, all right, well, I don't really want to make the play. You can make the play. Um, and, you know, that attitude's an attitude that, that gets you beat because nobody ends up making a play. So I think, you know, I feel, I feel bad for Clayton because I think he's, he's playing his heart out. Um, and, you know, he, he looks a lot better. He looks almost full strength, which I'm, I'm really happy to see. I just, you know, he needs some help on the perimeter, which is, it's been well documented. So it's, you know, you, you mentioned two things that are two of the things we really wanted to dive right into. Um, Clayton being one of them, um, specifically because I think not just you, but a lot of Northwestern quarterbacks, certainly everyone that I think we can remember, has dealed with, dealt with playing through injury. Um, obviously, you famously did and had a, a long recovery um, and had to come back your senior year. Um, and and obviously, Clayton is, is going through something that in some ways is similar. But whether it be, you know, Brett Bazinet or Trevor Simeon or Kane Coulter, it seems like Every Northwestern quarterback is is dealing with this, not just missing games because of injury, but playing through injury. Um, and something that we were really curious about, I mean, so, I mean, all eyes were and have been on Clayton from that front. But, I mean, we were watching, you know, Blake Hance, who, you know, had a two-game layoff, came in for two plays, and then was like, "I this is not going to work, and then came out. And I think what we've been really curious about, you know, from your perspective, because obviously you went through it, but obviously just, you know, watching the program also, what is what is it like in terms of recovering from an injury, but relative to how live do you go in practice? To what extent do you know, you know, prior to being in a game, how your body's going to perform in that game um, when you're coming back from injury? And I mean, how did, how did you deal with that coming back your senior year? Yeah, you know, it's a good question, right? A lot of people just, just think, that you know whether you're hurt or not that you can kind of just tough it out during during a game and that's that's you know true to an extent right you have a lot of adrenaline flowing but the truth of the matter is whether it's Fitz or any other coach or somebody in the NFL if you don't pre- like outside of Ben Roethlisberger if you don't practice all week you can't play um and and that's just how it, it sets up for preparation um, so I, I don't think that, again, you don't know the extent of a lot of these injuries because most coaches won't give you the full detail. Um, but maybe you think they probably get a couple reps or experienced guys, so they know what they're doing. But yeah, if, if you're not practicing on Thursday, at least if you don't get one day of practicing, they're not going to fight you. Um, because it's, 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 it's actually a, a liability to the rest of the team, right? If you stick somebody out there, that's 50, 75%, especially at, at positions like, very physical positions like, you know, offensive line and running back and stuff like that. I think you can get away with it a little bit more at quarterback um, just because you're, you know, it's, it's not as physically taxing of a position, you know, for the most part, you're, you're standing back there, you're throwing, um, you're not tackling people. Right. So I think, you know, I got away with it a little bit. I think you, you saw Clayton get away with it a little bit and you know, it's just part of the game, right? You, you got to play through injury. Um, everybody, whether they, they tell, whether they broadcast or not, is is hurt at some point in the season, right? It's just to the to what extent are you hurt? Um, so yeah, I think it's it's really interesting. Um, you know, most guys can can kind of get juiced up and, and fight through a lot of pain, but if if they're a liability, the coaches are going to take them out because you know a second string guy at hundred percent is better than a first string guy at sixty percent. Did you reach a point your senior year in your recovery where you knew you were ready to go? Or was it like not until you got on the field with Illinois where you said, oh, I can feel it now. Like I'm, I'm, I'm back. Like, did you, were, had you already reached that point in the level of practice you were doing week to week? 
Yeah, I mean, you got to prove it in practice before they'll stick you out there because if you don't, it's just such a high risk of re-injure, right? right. So I, you just you know in practice, like there's, I practiced a full week before Illinois. I, I practiced a little bit in the, all these all those other weeks, but I was like, I just didn't, I wasn't ready. Um, and you can't you can't just wake up on a Saturday and just be like, all right, well, you know, I'm good now. I didn't practice for three weeks, but I think I can <laughs> tough it out. That's how you, you really screw yourself up. Um, and the coaches and the trainers are really smart about that, right? They, they make sure that you prove it in practice and whether you're, I mean, everybody's a competitor and they want to be out there, but they're not going to let you risk your, your season or career or, you know, just long-term health on something stupid as, you know, as stupid as just saying, I'll just tough it out. I'll be fine in the game because if you haven't proven it in practice, they're not going to let you prove it in the game. Gotcha. Staying so staying with the quarterback position, but getting back to something you were talking a lot about earlier, which is adjustments. Um, we're very curious about because people say this a lot of times, and we we've been saying it. You were saying it. I think the Northwestern community is foaming at the mouth about this, right? Um, first half scoring followed by not second half scoring, and this concept of adjustments. But something that we were really curious about is, I mean, everyone's got the image in their head, right? Like the quarterback gets on the phone and he talks upstairs, right? But we know that there are also conversations that you might be having with offensive linemen or receivers or running backs or whatever. And we're just curious about like, you obviously you go, you know, you work really hard during the week to prepare for a team. And then you get out there on the field and some things go the way you thought they were going to and some things don't go the way they thought to you. So we were just kind of curious whether, you know, you have any specific memories, whether it be conversations with McCall, conversations with your wide receivers, converse, you know, like times where you were where during the game it became clear that a change had to be made on the fly relative to just you and your teammates or you and the coaching staff and then and how that gets done. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a really good question, right? Because you, you would think it, it comes from the coaches. Uh, but a lot of times it comes from the players. Um, and that, that kind of reflects on, on the leadership and the strong personalities that you have on, on each team. I think we had, when I was there at least, you know, we had guys like, you know, Mike Kafka and myself and, you know, really good receivers like Jeremy Ebert and Drake Dunsmore and, you know, a lot of other guys that were just really, you know, strong personalities, good players, smart football players that we could just, a lot of times we would figure stuff out and then the coaches would know what they're doing. Obviously know what they're doing too, but we would make suggestions that coach, this isn't working. Like they're bringing a guy high off the left. We need to just roll our offensive line to the left until otherwise noted. And if, if they come off the right, we'll throw hot. Like we, we, we have to figure something out. And I, I think when you have a strong group of players like that, that really understand the game, it makes it a lot easier. Um, but when, when it's coming from the coaches, it's, it's a little bit different because they're like, all right, guys, this is what they're doing. This is what we're going to change to. And if you don't have everybody on the same page, it's just going to be more of the same, right? You're going to have people that aren't super confident. So I think, you know, the, the examples that I remember are just, you know, in-game changes that we made that, you know, it was really just like one guy. It's like, all right, you know, Ebert, they're, they're playing heavy on the corner. We've hit it four times run a double move and it's going to be a touchdown and it's a touchdown. So it's like, it's just little stuff like that, um, that, you know, the, it, from quarterback to, to receiver to running back to offensive line, that you just kind of talk through. And it's really just based upon the strength of the, the, the players and the mental, you know, the mental ability to, to make those changes. And I'm not saying the guys that are on Northwestern don't have that right now. Um, but a lot, sometimes you, you gotta be, you gotta be a really strong personality. You gotta get angry and you gotta want to make changes that the coaches might not agree with. But at the end of the day, they're the players. 
right? The coaches will always preach that, you know, the, the, the play calls are only as good as the, the folks executing them. And, and I think if you have strong players that, you know, push back against the coaching staff and aren't fight for what they want and help develop the game plan, it's just that much better because, you know, you have a bunch of coaches on the field, right? And they can communicate a lot better. And again, I'm not saying we don't, ha- Northwestern doesn't have that right now. Um, I just, I, I don't think they're, they're lively in, in that sense of making adjustments. That's such an interesting perspective. Um, Cause I feel like it throws and, and thank God you're here talking to us, Dan. Cause um, like we, so we're, you know, we're, we're really big fans. We've, we've been following this team for close to 20 years now. Um, we all graduated right. in the early two thousands and you know, you get into the fan mentality and, not the message boards because we've tried to avoid that a little bit. Those can get kind of hairy. Um, but and you Twitter and and you know you're talking to tailgates and and to people you see at the airport, et cetera, et cetera. And there's such a perspective on how much the coaches dominate that conversation. And 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 at halftime you go online and everything is oh they they're not, the coaches are doing this right and they're not doing that right and they're not thinking about this thing and and it's just very interesting to hear that that other dynamic. Um, I'm curious because obviously the strategy that gets set and the the way you guys are practicing and preparing for a game, I'm guessing that comes much, much more strongly from the coaches relative to the in-game adjustments, which sounds like a little bit of a shared uh, shared ordeal. And I'm curious, you made the um, comment. Oh, sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yes and no. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. It's yes yeah. and no, right? I think the best teams have have guys that are – working, you know, side by side with coaches, obviously mm-hmm. it's going to start with a coaching staff. I just remember when we were there and I think they still do this, but we were, you know, in, in the meeting rooms, developing, you know, working with the coaches, the coaches would give us a game plan Monday night or even Sunday and say, Hey, look, you know, we're done with this game. This is what we're thinking. And I, we would all sit down together, like the core group of guys that were playing and say, all right, guys, we like this. We don't like this. These are some suggestions we're going to make just so we would be prepared for that Tuesday practice. And that just opens the communication so much better between players and coaches. And it's a collaborative effort, right? You got mm-hmm. working, working folks. If, if managers are jamming things down your throat that you don't agree with, it's probably not going to be executed as, as well as you think. But if you're working together and you feel like you're, you know, putting together a product that, you know, you, you both put a lot of time and effort to, and you're both really, really comfortable with, it's probably gonna work out a little bit better. So uh, that's, that's kind of, you know, I, I don't know. Again, I'm not in the meeting rooms on a day to day basis. I just know that's what we did, and it worked out really well. Again, it's, it's, just, it's so interesting to hear that perspective. And I, I, like where I was going with this was the idea of, and you kind of made the comment that we've been seeming, seeing similar results for for about a decade. Um, and I was curious from your perspective, and, and on the outside looking in, obviously, you know, do you think there's a, a fundamentally different strategy with the offense? has the offense changed or morphed significantly um, since the time that you played? Yeah, I don't think so. And that's, I think that's a problem, right? Yeah. Um, I just think, you know, Fitz talks about continuity on the staff, which is great. I just think it's, it's important, whether you're in business or football or any other walk of life to have new ideas constantly, right. To, to mm-hmm. be challenged and bring in new ideas and, and introduce new concepts. And I just think, you know, all the guys I talk to that I play with, we just, it's, we see the same stuff and, you know, we're not studying Northwest. We're not preparing for Northwestern, but, you know, 
however many, 13 other schools in the Big Ten are, and they have a whole year to prepare for this stuff. And now that they've seen the same stuff for 10 plus years, you know, it's, it's just getting a lot easier to prepare for. So I just think, I don't know if the North Western coaches are, are, you know, I'm sure they're studying different concepts, but I just haven't seen anything that's like super innovative, you know, in a pretty long time. And I, that's, I think that's where my main frustration comes with is you see, because you turn on the TV and you watch some college football and you watch, you know, West Virginia or you watch, I don't know, Oregon in their heyday or, or Baylor's just, you know, really innovative teams. I mean, you turn on, turn on TV on Sunday and you watch the bears who have been, you know, God awful to watch an offense for so long. And they get this great coach who just, you know, it implements a lot of innovation and it's really fun to watch. You watch the Chiefs, and you're like, this is a college offense. Like this is a lot of these concepts are, are college. And Andy Reid is however old, he's, you know, 60 some years old, maybe a little, a little less, but, He's done an unbelievable job of continuing to reinvent himself, introduce new concepts, you know, build new offense around his players and show just small, different, different, um, you know, tweaks in, in their, in their game plan and their calls and formations. It's just like, I don't know. I just, I don't know how understand how we don't have a little bit more creativity. Um, and I think that's the thing that frustrates me, right? It's just like, it's not hard to implement new ideas. And I just don't think that's happening right now. So this, I mean, this kind of lands me in a place, and this is a question I've wondered about for a while, because I think about, again, kind of the NU bubble that we get in, and we're hyper-focused on these games. Going back to Michigan, right, it's a it's a superior foe, um, an NFL-level level defense, certainly on their, on their line in their front seven. I watched the Clemson-Syracuse game earlier that day with a very different eye. And a very similar outcome, right? Syracuse gets up early and then just slowly gets whittled away. And my sense is that nationally, there's kind of this perspective watching the Northwestern Michigan game of this is the expected and anticipated outcome, right? That uh, Northwestern has kind of shocked them early and Michigan's going to reel them back in. And I'm, I'm just curious, especially as you've gotten into broadcasting, you sort of connect uh, with with uh, BTN and just starting to see that that broader viewpoint do you think that there's that there's a, a dichotomy um, or, or a dissonance between kind of the national view of Northwestern, the average view of Northwestern versus those of us that are uh, living and breathing it um, on a regular basis? Um, it's hard, right? Because I, I don't I'm probably closer to the folks that are living and breathing it on a day to day basis than I am on a national level at this point. Just because I'm this is my first year really getting exposed to the, the greater big 10. I, I mean, I always followed the big 10, but it was always closer to Northwestern and then obviously nationally. Um, but I think, I don't know. I, I think um, people always have, hold Northwestern in a very high regard uh, because they've always played, we've always played really hard and it, it, we have good kids and, and stuff like that. Um, I think the, the fans are, are, are hard, are hard on the team with one loss, but they should be right. If you want good fans, you want people to hold you accountable. And, you know, I'm, I'm hard on the team when we blow leads that we shouldn't. I blew a lot of leads when I was playing that we should, that I'm, yeah, I still have nightmares about, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know. That's a really hard question to answer just because I'm, I'm, I'm not talking to the, the national folks as, as much as, you know, other broadcasting folks might be. No, that's that's fair. Um, that's fair. It's, it's it's something I've just always kind of wondered about because you do see that that national perspective that is very like 
oh, you know, Northwestern tried and got close and God bless them, you know, but, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, yeah, I, I think, I think there's more respect than you think. I think it's, it's the God bless them is probably, you know, we're kind of past that, which is good, but I think there's, there's still a, a sense of Northwestern is they're, they're not a contender in the big 10 until, you know, they, they, you know, get to the big 10 title or win a big 10 title, um, which is fair. Right. And they haven't, we haven't gotten there since, since 2000. So, um, yeah, I think we just got to get over the hump and, you know, whether that's the, the new facility propelling Northwestern or, or anything else, it's just, it's something that at least the folks, I guess in my, in my opinion, and this really bothers me, um, there's like two fan sets of Northwestern. There's the really competitive, the diehards like you guys that want to see the, the program continue to do well and win big 10 titles. And then there's a, this other group that's used to, you know, the thirties, forties and fifties and however long of, of the losing. That's just like, you know, this is great. You know, Northwestern six and six, they're eight and four. They're staying out of trouble. Like, this is great. You know, we never thought it would get this good. Right. So I, I, and I, I get a little bit, and I understand their point, but I guess being a younger person, I just get really frustrated when people get satisfied with that um, and say, Hey, you know what? It's okay. You know, they're trying really hard. They're winning six to eight to 10 games a year and they're, they're graduating everybody. And um, well, not to minimize that. Um, but I, I just think you should in everything you do. And I think, Pat Ryan kind of talks about this and Jim Phillips talks about this. Like, why would you not try to be the best at everything? Like, don't, don't settle. There's, there's no such thing. Look at Stanford. Like they're, they're doing great right now in, in every facet. Don't, don't settle for, um, you know, saying that because your economic or academics are, are, you know, top five in, in the country, if not world that you can't have great sports programs. That doesn't make any sense to me at least. So it, it really bothers me when that perception of the Northwestern is like, Oh, good job. You know, Pat them on the back. They're they're doing both so well. It's like no, if if we're if we're nationally ranked in every academic, you know, dif- disciplinary, why are we not nationally ranked in every sport? Right. It's just like why would you not push to that level? And when when that's not, I think Dr. Phillips and Fitz and all the coaches push to that. But I think sometimes as as alums, they kind of you know step away from that being aggressive from an athletic standpoint. Um, so that uh, maybe maybe I'm ranting a little bit, but that's just how I feel from a perception standpoint. <laughs> no, we love it. I'm drinking this up. Just keep going, man. <laughs> right. I, I did want to ask you, um, you know, as you talk about your beginning to transition into the broadcasting side of things, um, you know, how how is that going so far? You know, what besides you know your broadcast of the Akron game, you know, you've got your podcast now with Dave Bennett. Kind of what have, what have you been doing to to start that transition? Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking about it. Um, I, I've kind of done some stuff here and there as you know, WGN or, or Big Ten Network have, have asked me. And it, it's been mostly – so I, I've done a couple games on WGN for, for radio, live games. And then I've done a couple, like, um, spring practices for, for Northwestern on BTN, which it was a lot of fun, right? It was, it was something that I, when they asked me, I did it. And, you know, I enjoyed it and got a little bit better each time. Um, but this year, going into this year, I was like, you know, I really want to focus on, on doing a little bit more. Um, one, I really enjoy it, and two, it you know, it keeps me involved and with with the program and with college football, which I love so much. Um, so I just kind of continued to to approach you know WGN and Big Ten Network to let them know that I was interested in doing more. And um, you know, frankly, 
stuff like this is like, the, as you guys probably have figured out, the more, the more you do, the better you get. And um, it's kind of like a hockey stick, the way, how much better you get over, over time of just doing different things. So uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I want it, I want it to continue to be a part of my life and hopefully, you know, in the next couple of years, it, it becomes a bigger one. I don't think I'll ever want to do it full time. I, I enjoy my, enjoy my day job. And, and I think there's something to be said for, similar to you guys having, having a hobby that you, you really enjoy. And if it ever turned into a full-time job, it might not be as fun. Um, so I, I want to do more, really enjoy it. Uh, but I don't, I don't think I ever want to do it like full-time. I totally, totally understand that. Um, I, I did have a question, you know, when dealing with fits, you know, in the preparation to the game, um, you know, fit, fits is, you know, in front of the media, very tight lipped, very kind of, Playing, keep everything you know under the collar, under the cuff. What, what, what was he like? You know, based on you know how you dealt with him as a player, uh, did he change from that relationship to you know a media relationship, or did he get kind of give you some stuff off the record that you know just you know we don't need to know what if anything was said, but did he kind of open up to you just because of your pri- uh, previous relationship? When I was brought, like in the broadcasting stuff, yeah, in in like the week leading up to the Akron game. Um, that's actually a funny question. Um, I, I think at, at first, uh, he was. I thought he would, you know, open up a little bit more, but he was he was pretty tough on <laughs> me at first. I was like, really? Wait, really, sense? Uh, then it might have been just been because you know other folks were were around, but at first I was like, oh man, he was gonna be tough. I tried to get him to smile, and he was he was not happy. And I was like, he was. He was looking right through me. I, I think he op- opened up as, as we got talking. And, um, you know, as a media member, you want to be respectful um, to the things he says. You, you know, he leaves at that and doesn't want to talk about, um, like, a lot of stuff with, with Clayton's health. Sure. Um, but, you know, closer to the game, he'll, he'll, he would, you know, talk to me a little bit more about um, what they're expecting and how they feel. But I just think it's, as an overall policy, you know, a, a public-facing media person He's just not going to give much to, and I, I don't take any like disrespect because of that. Um, I, I totally get it. No, for sure. And you know that that relationship is, you know, he he's been doing that his entire career at Northwestern. Um, right. We we, we don't want to take up too much more of your evening, but um, just love to get your uh your quick plug of your podcast. Yeah, it's it's um, myself and, and Dave Ennett, as you mentioned. It's a, a weekly show on, on WGN. Usually comes out um, Wednesday or Thursday afternoon. And just it kind of it kind of covers the gamut. Um, pretty focused on the Big Ten um, for the most part. We'll talk a little bit about some stuff nationally, but um, most of the Big Ten, you know, storylines, headlines. We try to get a good guest on every week. We've had you know a lot of good guests. Dave Revson was on today, and then. We've had a bunch of play-by-play folks from from Penn State and Wisconsin, so you, you kind of dive into the big matchups each, each week, each week, and recap a little bit of of what happened last week. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, if, if you guys are bored, just definitely turn it on. No, for sure. Um, one last question: When is it going to be up on iTunes? <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess I'm not as experienced as you guys sure. in, the, in the podcast world, um, but I'll, I'll push Dave Anna to to get it up there. Um, don't get too don't get too deep in the weeds, man. You're already you're walking into Fitz's office and he's looking right through you. Now you're just Dan Persa, journalist, man. It's not true. <laughs> so I want to keep it part time, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, well, Dan, thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time joining us on, on the pod tonight and, uh, wish you all the best of luck as you, you know, continue doing some broadcasting and, uh, we'd love to have you back on maybe a little bit later on in the season. Yeah, for sure. Thanks again for having me on guys. Yeah. Some really good stuff, uh, from Persa there, you know, really cool to hear some of the behind the scenes stuff, uh, that you know, he's looking at as someone who used to be a part of the team and now a fan like all the rest of us. It's fascinating to hear his perspective, and we've had we've had a couple of former players on before, but I don't I don't think we've gotten anybody quite as um, quite as willing to go as deep as Dan did. I mean, that was that was I, I I'm almost speechless. I like I feel like there's so many new thoughts uh, going through my brain right now around th- thinking about the players um, pushing the coaches and and, and making calls and. Uh, he said at one point, like, like sometimes you gotta, you gotta make a decision to do something the coaches aren't going to like. And I'm thinking, man, how does that go over with Fitz? Um, I just, if, if you have any questions at home of what standards you should have for <laughs> the program, the answer is you should have Dan Persis standards yep, for the program. 100%. Yeah. Well, uh, we do have the rest of the big 10 and the, in the country's games this weekend. We just want to run through real quick before we get out of here. Um, you know, we talked about the Northwestern Michigan State game, uh, 11 o'clock central on FS1. Um, you, also, you've got Maryland traveling to the big house, uh, take on Michigan. I mean, I, I don't see any way that Maryland is going to be able to move the ball on Michigan. Uh, I, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that game is, uh, Michigan favored by 17 and a half. Uh, also at 10 o'clock on a cha- on Big Ten Network, although why, why would you even watch a second of this game? Illinois at Rutgers. Oh, boy. Yeah. We're going to find out where the basement is. I, I have a hunch that it's, that it's Rutgers. Um, <laughs> Il- Illinois, I don't know. I mean, Illinois could somehow surprise us and even submarine that, but... Uh, I, I actually feel Rutgers is so bad that Illinois is, is the better team here. I mean, Illinois is a four and a half point favorite on the road. And if you, and if you take or do not take those points or are involved from a gambling perspective in any capacity in this game, seek help. Don't do it. No. Don't do it. Just say no. Uh, Iowa heads up to TCF Bank Stadium to take on the Gophers. Um, so expectation, right? Is that I will put it on them now. I feel like that I'm waiting to see a confirmation of that. But that I would say that's what we expect, right? Their defense is so good, and their offense is. I mean, like they, they're like what we just talked about with Michigan State, but maybe even more so. Um, I think like Nate Stanley's had one good game, and it was against uh, the the horrible team on their schedule. It was against Northern Northern Iowa. Um. I mean, I guess like I guess Wisconsin, they were pretty good. Like they were obviously really up for that game, and I don't know. This is this is a this is technically their rival, but not the one that they really care about right now. It feels like maybe a bit of a letdown. I don't know. Indiana at Ohio State. That's going to be ugly. Uh, if you are an Indiana fan, if you're an Ohio State fan, enjoy the points. That's the one game where I feel like if you asked me 
of of all of these options, you know, which one like Iowa Ohio State is solidly moving into the complacency portion of their schedule right now for a long period of time. And uh, you know, if if the sleepwalking starts, I could see, you know, I'm not saying I could see it, but this would be like the random one no one saw coming that ended up closer than it is. Let's put it this way. Of the list of the three games that could fit that that possible profile, this for sure is the one where it could happen because it you, ain't happening in the other two. You don't think at Purdue is the more likely? Uh... <clears throat> oh, I mean, oh, on Ohio State schedule for sure. I just meant this week. Oh, gotcha. All right. But yes, Ohio State has firmly moved into the expectation of slaughter on a week by week basis, and they're gonna they're gonna nap at some point. Speaking of slaughter, yeah, Nebraska oh, oh, let me at just... Wisconsin. Okay, so if you took an ear of corn and you <laughs> fed it to a badger, would the corn be better off at the end than the Huskers will be in this game? <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been workshopping that one, John? I know just just now, but I I was just like I <laughs> I I don't know because because you could argue you know a badger is it are they I don't know are they semi carnivorous I don't know maybe it only eats half the corn uh, I don't really know but I but whatever I <laughs> this pain lots of pain. You guys know that there's nothing that makes me happier than when we're, than when we're right about something. And, yep. and like, go back to the summer, and people were talking about this Nebraska team winning eight or nine games. And wasn't it Herbstreit who, who thought they were going to beat Iowa and Wisconsin? Yeah. And, like, that they might contend for that. Like, it's it's so implausible. Um and it was so implausible then looking at the roster and the depth and thinking about all the, the change with, with a new staff and the relationships that aren't there yet with, with the new coaches. Um, and you've started, I mean, you're starting to see some, some things fracture, right? They had a wide receiver, uh, who took advantage of the four week trans, uh, four week red shirt rule is transferring has less left the program. Um, these guys are in dire straits and it's, I mean, we, we said, that Scott Frost is going to get things rolling at Nebraska at some point. This it just it sure is as heck ain't going to be this year. And uh, yeah, they're living it right now. And it, here's what's interesting. I mean, we we know that Nebraska is going to be bad, but Frost is starting to fire off on them a little bit. You know, he, he's, he's 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 frustrated. He's sure. got to do something. I mean, I you know, <clears throat> he can't just go through the motions. I mean, he knows that the work he's doing. But during the week in recruiting is the work that ultimately is going to pay the dividends. Although not if all these guys keep leaving. Gosh, Tyjon Lindsay, that's a big loss. Um, but, but, but here's the thing, though. I mean, <clears throat> be realistic. Like, know that, you know, he really should be out there saying, yeah, we're not good. We're going to be struggling, but bear with us. You know, you need to be come at it very supportively. And he's been starting to fire off on it. And I, I don't know well, that that's the right message, but who knows what the message is inside the locker room, right? That's like you true. could very that's much true. say like, Hey, look, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to, I'm going to protect you guys. I'm going to, I mean, I guess that's not what he's doing. No, <laughs> so, it's not. I mean, this is not the Jim Harbaugh. I'm going to be crazy. So you stop asking about my players and just focus on me approach. Um, so I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. And, and this is, he's, probably trying to figure out his team a little bit and think about how he can motivate them and how he can try to get them to buy back in. Um, 
They've, mm. they've, they've got a crazy amount of talent at wideout. You know, Adrian Martinez is just running around for, like for his life. Uh, and their, and their defense is, is a disaster. So I, like, I don't, I don't know how much you can do other than be honest. I just, he to, your, claimed, to your point, Sam. He claims that they've found the basement. Um, that's not true, but the Wisconsin Badgers are going to help them find that basement, I believe. Um, and, and it's great. I mean, I, all I can say is, you know, they, there's a chance Nebraska's got a little bit of will and spirit left. And we just need the Badgers to tear that out of them because we get them the week after. And I, I want a broken team coming to Northwestern. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to feast on them. So, um, so go get them Badgers. Uh, take whatever little will they have left. Let's all remember the nineties and that proud spirit. And, and let's just destroy whatever's left of it. Remember the Alamo? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> yes. Oh, I, oh wow. I'm saying that because we're going to get our licks in, but first it's Badger time. Uh, quickly looking around the rest of the country, um, couple of fun matchups. I mean, the uh, Red River shootout uh, is is all of a sudden interesting. I mean, Texas, yeah, that they lost to Maryland, but that's it. They haven't looked great, but they are 4-1. and one. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, winning, so beating USC is no mean task. Now we know that JT Daniels hurt his hand in that game, They're the USC's freshman QB. Um, but then they... they dominated TCU the next week. Uh, and granted that's TCU coming off of the Ohio state game, certainly a bit of a letdown, but I mean, TCU has had a, has had a thing for beating Texas for, I mean, they've forever been treated as a little brother in that state. So, um, they had plenty of motivation going there. So I don't know, this is at, at the same time, you know, there was a lot of talk about Oklahoma and I, you know, I didn't think that they would, bounce back from losing Baker Mayfield, a, a transcendental player, uh, for, for that team as easily as they have. But Kyler Murray has been simply incredible to watch. And Lincoln Riley continues to, to be a fantastic, uh, coach in his transition from, from offensive guru to head coach. So Oklahoma is, seems to be hitting on all cylinders. This game is always close though. I mean, there, there, there are some, you know, uh, some sometimes where that that that's not a case, but Oklahoma's I think an eight point favorite going in, and when it's when it's that skewed, I I think all five years I lived in Texas it went the opposite way that you would have thought, and there were some really serious mismatches during those years when uh, like t- Texas would win a game like twenty two to seventeen, and and Oklahoma was like a fifteen point favorite coming in, so it's a weird game. These teams care about this more than just about anything else, and uh, yeah, it, it should be fun though because both teams are uh, are better than potentially expected coming into the year. I'm surprised that you know Florida is ranked 22, and you know they haven't looked good doing it, but uh, you know you will see how the Dan Mullen era deals with uh, Ed Orgeron and the. Fighting Tigers when LSU goes into Florida. That should be fun. I'm really excited to uh, to tune into Winning Cures Everything from uh, I think from yesterday they got I think I think or maybe it was today they put up their podcast with their picks for this weekend. I can't wait to hear what Chris Giannini has to say about this game. 
Think he might have strong opinions. Strong, <laughs> strong LSU opinions. Well, speaking of strong opinions from from partisan fans, Florida Gators, number twenty two in the nation, one spot behind. That's right, the Fighting Tatankas. That's right, undefeated, Sam. Yes. Unbelievable. And I was, I was very happy to watch that game last Friday night. Um, just cause, you know, you never really get a chance to see Colorado football, uh, out here in the, in the Chicagoland area, but, uh, they look good. Uh, granted, they haven't really played anyone. I mean, they, they beat Nebraska, which everyone is doing, and they beat UCLA, which everyone is doing. And, uh, you know, their other wins are Colorado State, which has just been, demolished throughout the year and New Hampshire. So they haven't really played anyone. So this weekend against Arizona State in Boulder should be a really should be fun. Should be really interesting. But LaVisca Chenault, man, that, that guy is stellar. Yeah, he is the real that is as strong a wide receiver as I've seen in college in a while. <laughs> that guy is that guy is stacked. For a guy who's not 6'5", 220, he will carry the pile, and he plays a hell of a wide uh, of a wildcat quarterback battering ram. So, yeah, let's see if they can keep it going. So, the other interesting one from my perspective is Notre Dame at Virginia Tech. Yeah, Notre Dame is surprisingly undefeated. I I thought they would get hammered in Week One against Michigan, and probably even more surprising to me is that Brian Kelly has gone against his. Um, his beloved running quarterback, he in, in, going all the way back to, to his days at, at university of Cincinnati. It has been, he, he is really in love with having a, a true dual threat QB. And, and even at the expense of the passing game, will lean in hard on a, on a rushing QB. <coughs> I mean, you saw the Malik Zaire, um, Deshaun Kaiser thing a couple of years ago that, that really put their offense in chaos. And he has abandoned Brandon Wimbush. Uh, Ian book is the starter. He looks pretty darn good frankly um this will be a big test virginia tech is uh, also ranked it's in blacksburg which is just a very difficult place to play at night um, too at night this this should be a this should be a pretty fun game um i'm really looking forward to saturday night and credit where credit is due i mean notre dame is trending upward big time the switch to book was I mean, like he should have done it a while ago, but it was, it's the cure for what ails them. And it has totally unlocked Notre Dame's offense and Notre Dame's defense remains great. Um, <clears throat> I kind of feel like if book starts against Michigan, that game is less close. Um, be based on the way that Michigan played then and honestly is still playing. Um, and Notre Dame looks good in Virginia tech. I, as much as it really pains me to say it, um, even is still kind of, you know, working some things out, even though they put it on Duke. Come on, Duke. Well, it's so surprising because Josh Jackson, their QB, broke his leg in the Old Dominion game. So they're going into this game against Duke. They don't have their QB. I think they lost their starting running they back started a couple a weeks Kansas, earlier. They started a Kansas transfer at quarterback. Yeah, and, and Duke got Daniel Jones back. We know that Virginia Tech lost. I, I just got to jump in there. Daniel Jones with a broken collarbone, has surgery, and is playing again. That's really weird. They, and he played, too. I mean, he was it was an up-and-down game for him, but, I mean, he was 
he was their engine, and for whatever reason, it just didn't work out for Duke, and not what any of us we were, ex- were expecting, and that was a real bummer, but... Yeah, but Virginia Tech ca- owned them, I, and I'm... <laughs> That, that's that's the thing that has me like really looking at this Notre Dame match. I'm thinking like, well, I mean, is this a hard game for Notre Dame? I I don't know. Yeah, it's gonna be. I mean, I if you make me guess, I say Notre Dame rolls them, but maybe it'll be close. Uh, just looking at Notre Dame's schedule, there's there's not a whole lot on it, you know, coming up uh, that really makes anyone think that they won't go undefeated. And I, again, I credit where credit is due. What if a team's got a good quarterback and a great defense and they're winning all their games? I'm not going to hold it against them. I mean, they're they're playing good football right now. If they keep beating teams by three or four touchdowns, that looks like a college football playoff team. I I choose to believe a road game after playing Navy in San Diego the week before they play oh. before they play Florida State is a. Uh... Amen, brother. It's tasty. Yeah, it, tasty. It, it, From your lips to all, God's all ears. Of, all of those things we talked about uh, before the season still hold true. And yeah, that, But they're, they're playing really good football right now. I, I did not think that they – I mean, I wasn't sure that they beat Stanford or not, but the way they took it to Stanford last week was just really, really impressive. Uh, any, anything else before we get out of here, guys? Yeah, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk at least a little hoops, right? Um, all of a sudden, in the span of a few weeks, Northwestern's basketball recruiting class has really come together. Um, it started um, with, I wouldn't say a whisper, but a little bit of a lower voice. We signed a, a three-star shooting guard, Daniel Bowie, who didn't have too much in the way of offers. Um, he, I think, kind of some mid-major level teams, and I'd say we were his his best offer, a guy from um, playing prep school ball up in Maine. And then things really started clicking. Um, Bowie visited campus the same week as Jared Jones, um, who is a forward, 6'9 forward, kind of a power forward type, who is um, currently listed as Rivals number 43 power forward, but has quite the list of offers. Uh, Florida, Florida State, Tennessee, Wake Forest, Virginia, um, and pick the Cats over all those after decommitting from Auburn. Um, he's a big-time player, a guy who by the time he graduates could be ranked even higher than he is right now. But make no mistake, when you're looking for a three-star guy, this guy is exactly the kind of guy you want. This is a guy who had interest from a lot of big-time schools, and he was a big get. And then a few days later, we outdid ourselves. Um, Robbie Barrett, who is another super intriguing guy. Um, another 6'9", a skinny 6'9", um, like a, I mean, listed as a power forward, but he is not a power forward. He's a wing. Um, and if anything, I'd say kind of a Pete Nance type. Um, a really tall guy who can handle and shoot. And that is why he is a four-star recruit and a top 100 recruit in the nation. And remember, there we've signed about three of those ever, <laughs> and he would be number three. So uh, all of a sudden, the 2019 recruiting class gets a serious shot in the arm. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to be uh, looking at basketball here coming up pretty soon. And I know we're all very focused on football, but you know, basketball practices are are getting rolling and you know before we know it you know and sammy suddenly you and i were standing there realizing that we hadn't 
we hadn't kind of processed the brand new Welsh Ryan that is sitting next to the football field now. Yeah, it, it, um, it definitely, you know, looks different. I mean, n- not a lot. Subtle, but subtle it, changes subtle. on the outside, yeah. I mean, they, they it, didn't take it down to its rafters, so, it, you know, I, I'm definitely looking on the forward outside, to yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting in there and seeing what it looks exactly. like. Exactly. Well, let's go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Westlot Pirates. Call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Skazboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.